The League of Women Voters and the Recording Library of West Texas present Tall City Elections. Here are your hosts, Abby Wiggum and Trish Spate. Welcome to another episode of the Tall City Elections podcast. I'm Abby. Uh, this is Trish. And with us today, we have Lori Blong. This program is dedicated to providing information about the upcoming local elections as we make it accessible to our listeners who are visually impaired. The Tall City Elections 2019 podcast is a collaboration between the Recording Library of West Texas and the League of Women's Voters. We want to thank all of our supporters for helping us make this possible. We have Lori Blong with us today in the studio. She is running for City Council for District Four, is that correct? That's right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Well, let's just start out with some of the basics. Who are you? <laughs> How long have you been in Midland? Why are you running for city council? Awesome. Well, I was actually born in Midland, in Midland Memorial Hospital, and I lived here throughout my life until I graduated from high school, and I graduated as a bulldog, and then went to Hardin-Simmons University in Abilene, and then got married and moved to El Paso for a few years, and then Brownwood for a couple years, and then back to Midland in 2011, where my husband and I, we have three kids, and we started a company, an oil field service company in 2013, and so I've been working with him, um, getting that going. We've we've grown so much, and it's been a huge blessing. And we're happy to be here in Midland and have a small business and raise children and have kids in school and all of the things that so many others are participating in. So, do you have experience, previous experience, of working in administration or city stuff? Or well, like I have a lot of experience just from running a company mm -hmm. that will be transferable skills to city council. But I started participating in things civically in a meaningful way in 2013. We had a really hard season in 2013 in our family; just several significant deaths in the family. My dad, Mark Merritt, with Faskin Oil and Ranch, he passed away in 2013, and so then I was. I had a new baby, brand new baby, and just needed to get outside of myself a little bit and think about someone other than my own issues. And I started participating with a group of Burmese Chin refugees and uh, really realizing the conditions that they were living in and taught them to sew. We created a wow. boutique children's clothing line. And so they were in my home repeatedly over and over for weeks and weeks and weeks. And we, we started having these trunk shows and they were doing massive production of these materials. And the first time that I needed to go pick something up from one of these Burmese ladies, um, I go to her house and or her apartment, and she had no furniture. She had the sewing machine that we had given her set up on a folding chair and no, not another stick of furniture in her house. And she didn't have a working air conditioner and she didn't have a working oven. And so I left there, you know, I finished the conversation that we needed to have and left there crying and called my husband and said, I cannot believe that people are living like this in Midland, Texas. So I started to get more and more involved and learned a little bit more about what they had been through as a community and where they were living. And I called the city a couple of times because the conditions were so bad. And I was told by somebody at the city, please don't call us again because we have such a housing shortage. And if you call us again, we'll have to shut this down. We'll have to go in and deal with this. And there's no place for these people to live. And wow. so we need you to not do that. And so I started participating in 2013, 2014 with some of these affordable housing issues, but also just realizing that the city is up against hard stuff and they're having to make judgment calls about how to deal with some of these issues. 
And how and the housing issue hasn't gone away. It hasn't. It kind of got loosened up a little bit through 15 and 16, but we're we're in the same sort of tight market. Thankfully, those Chin refugees have assimilated into our culture. They've bought homes and they've bought businesses, and they're a huge asset to our community in Midland. And I maintain relationships with them, but and they're such an encouragement to me in this process. A couple of months ago, actually, I, I guess the beginning of the year, I started participating in earnest with a housing group with a quality of place group and with an education group that has representatives from all of the taxing entities and a lot of the nonprofits here in Midland. And we've been meeting twice a month to talk about some of these issues and try to find solutions that don't increase taxpayers' burden to cover these issues, but allow us to talk about new options for solutions for housing and quality of place infrastructure. So and the, the solutions that y'all talk about, are they... So is that like city solutions or private partner solutions? What, I don't know, what do those kind of look like that y'all are talking about? So they look a little bit different in each of the groups that we're in. The the five taxing entities are the city, the county, Midland Independent School District, Midland College, and the hospital. And so we have representatives from each of those bodies participating in these conversations. And then we also have representatives from the significant foundations in Midland and other nonprofit groups that are participating. And so as we're looking at solutions, we're looking at things like community land banking um, mm-hmm. and land trusts where we would be able to pursue back taxes. There's there's hundreds of properties in Midland that owe back taxes and have liens filed against them, but we don't have anybody to pursue those liens unless we're able to get all five taxing entities and the central appraisal district to do that together. Okay, wow. So it's this really collaborative approach to pursue those to get either those back taxes paid up or to allow us to bring those those properties back into a land bank where we can then resell them and develop those properties for affordable housing in Midland. So it, it actually helps taxpayers if we do that because back, people who are not paying their back taxes, the rest of us taxpayers are bearing the load of that. And so that's a significant win for the city. But the other thing is it's going to increase the quality of residents in certain parts of town mm-hmm. where it's really run down. There's lots of indigent issues. There's lots of um, d- just all kinds of problems that happen when you've got liens filed against properties and nobody's maintaining those properties. So it's that land banking idea has the opportunity to benefit all Midlanders, but especially taxpayers and people who need affordable housing. Would you say that housing infrastructure is like your top priority? Um, I think that that's part of what drew my attention to this. I'm also the vice president of the board for Habitat for Humanity. And so between the Burmese Chin population and my participation with Habitat for Humanity, that's the part that I know a lot about. And it's the part that I've been participating in the longest. But as we look at at even affordable housing, we have to address infrastructure too, because there's all of this new construction north of town. You know, Beatonbow has an entire new subdivision that they want to develop that they've already platted, they've paid for the engineering for, and they're going to have to go walk away from that for a while until we're able to run water and sewage to that subdivision. And so we are giving up taxpayer dollars in those homes that they would be building and selling to more taxpayers. We're giving that up because we haven't provided water to that area. And so the city actually has already issued certificates of obligation to build a water tower that would provide water for that area. But we need somebody to oversee that water tower. We need somebody to make sure that that's run properly. And we need to make sure that the way that those certificates of obligation are structured is going to 
not increase any sort of taxpayer burden. Those are going to be applied to the fees on the water bills for new residents in that area. So that won't be a taxpayer burden for a $50 million water tower. It'll be something that's paid out through fees on a water bill. Other than housing, one issue that we hear a lot about with our listeners is public transportation. Mm -hmm. I mean, the roads obviously are important, but in our experience, we hear a lot about Easy Rider and the inefficiencies Mm -hmm. of that service. Do you have any thoughts about transportation? I do think it's something that needs to be addressed. And I think that a lot of the problems, based on my understanding, is that they don't have a workforce that they can hire for to be able to have drivers that are consistent. And so a lot of the inconsistencies, a lot of the inefficiencies of the Easy Rider system are really go back to a workforce challenge. And the workforce challenge in Midland goes back to a housing and infrastructure issue. We can't hire people to move here because people who are in that sort of income bracket of Easy Rider drivers they can't afford to live in a home that they're happy to have their family in. And so the trickle-down effect of infrastructure and housing is impacting that. And I don't mean to bring it all back to that issue, but it it is interconnected. And and the the affordable affordable nature of living in Midland or the lack of affordability of living in Midland is hurting some of those populations. Different options that we've talked about maybe be in in this time for a period of time the city used to give vouchers to people who were disabled mm-hmm. to take a taxi cab to mm-hmm. the hospital or a doctor's appointment or even work. How do you feel about partnerships like that with public, you know, mm-hmm. entities like cab services or Uber, mm-hmm. anything like that? Would you be open to that? I would be open to that. I think that I would try, first of all, to see that as something that some of our nonprofits in town could help address. And I would be on board with spearheading or working towards that with nonprofits. I think we have a generous population in Midland. And as much as possible, I like to see those sorts of issues addressed by a nonprofit solution, not a public government solution. I think that private entities and nonprofits always address things more efficiently than government does. And so when we put all of those things on the government, then we begin to increase taxpayer burden and we begin to have issues with the efficiency of it. Government just will never deal with things as efficiently as nonprofits. Yeah, I don't know a city that I've ever been to that someone hasn't complained about roads, traffic, mm-hmm. or public transportation. It's true. It's <laughs> Even absolutely when it's true. An awesome system. Yeah. People just, it's just a source of frustration. Mm-hmm. What's the traffic like in District 4? District 4, there's certain parts of town where I think that in in the northern parts where the roads are really have been well maintained, they've already seen some benefit from the road bond. Um, But there's some parts of District 4 that are really, really behind on their development. And they've got drainage, drainage issues. They've got traffic issues. And so I think those things have to be addressed continually. I think we went through a period of time in the late 90s and early 2000s where we didn't allocate funding for road maintenance. And so we're we're now behind. We're you know some people are saying we're 20 years behind on road maintenance and we're going to have to catch up. And I'm happy to see that for the last year and this upcoming fiscal year the city has allocated money in the general budget to maintain roads. I want to see that continue to happen where we're maintaining roads within our means. We're not raising taxes to do that. We're doing it within our means, within the general budget, and we're allocating funds for that. So for for little city streets and residential areas, that has to come out of city funding or some other form of city 
ability to address it. The Loop 250 and 191, those can be incentivized with TxDOT dollars and with U.S. Department of Transportation dollars. And I, I appreciate, I've, I've looked into this quite a bit, the MDC, Midland Development Corporation, has done a lot of matching programs with Motran and with TxDOT and with the United States Department of Transportation to bring extra funds in to fund some of those main thoroughfares that are state highways. And as we continue those partnerships, as we continue to be good stewards of their dollars, and as we continue to increase those relationships, I think we have more opportunity to benefit transportation in District 4 and all of Midland. So if you were to get a grant that was $1 million, Mm -hmm. and I know a million dollars doesn't go a long ways Uh in a city, but you had $1 million to spend specifically in your district, Mm -hmm. how how would you use it? That's a really good question. I think I would probably hold a couple of town halls. I think one thing that Midland has not done well is have public transparency with those sorts of questions. And I would want to invite other people to speak into this that solution. I don't I don't think I would want to spend $1 million just based on my own wish list. I think that that needs to come based on a broader input than just my own. But I think that there there's some infrastructure needs, particularly in the south part of District 4, around Thomason, just north of Wall Street and between Midkiff and Midland Drive. There's several different areas that really need to be addressed with significant potholes and issues at the interchanges between different streets. And so I think we have to start looking at where are the places that are being addressed often and where are the places that are being completely neglected. And let's make sure that they're getting attention. You mentioned having town halls and Mm -hmm. listening to what the residents have to say. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you are elected, how do you plan to involve residents in the decision-making process? I plan to have a a very transparent process of communication through social media and through the newspaper as often as possible. I think that we need to have all of the different avenues that communicate outward through the two different radio stations that are really good about publishing local information through your own resource here to Midlanders who don't have access to a lot of other publications. I think we need to use all avenues to communicate out what the city is doing. And Midland has had a my whole life has had a hard time telling its story well. We don't speak very nicely about ourselves sometimes. And so I think as as city leadership, the city council, the mayor, and, and really the county, all of us need to begin a better process of speaking clearly about the good things that we're doing. This is how we would like to see the money spent, but invite public comment into that. Let's listen to what Midlanders want to do and want to see happen. And let's begin to clarify those things. I also think you know, I'm not running for mayor, so I'll have I'll have ability to speak into that. But I do think that there is value in publishing at the beginning of the fiscal year. This is how we want to spend our money this year. This is our plan. And then at the end of the fiscal year, publishing, this is how we did. This is what we spent money on. And this is how it happened. In my own company, we make sure that we have a plan and then we execute our plan. And then we look backwards and say, did we do that well? Did we waste our money or was our money invested wisely? And I think that the same accountability and transparency should happen with the city. So District 4 also contains the airport. It does contain the airport. It's the, it's the largest <laughs> geographic area. It is, a, it is this map. I was sitting here looking at the map. So it's, District 4 is mostly the far west side of Midland, basically. Uh-huh. And the airport, and it looks like part of 191. I didn't mm-hmm. realize that was in the city. Yes. Hmm. Anyway, so airport, interesting. So what 
What do you do? You have any thoughts about the airport? I think parking at the airport. I don't know if you guys have uh, flown yeah. out of the the airport recently. Um, we've got people parking all over fields and grassy areas and popping curbs and parking wherever they want to, and that's frustrating as a Midlander. But it's also if we step back and we look at that, we are foregoing massive amounts of income as a city by not collecting those parking fees. And if, if I've studied up on this a little bit, Denver, for example. Their parking system is one of their biggest revenue streams for the airport. And so whenever they are whenever they are planning for parking, they're planning for a revenue stream of fees mm-hmm. back into the city coffers. And we're just wasting that money. We, we're just letting it go by. And so I think, actually, the, there was a first reading in city council this last week to approve paving two of those fields. They're going to do the smaller one first and then the larger one or at least it's been proposed, it hasn't been approved yet, to allow for parking in those areas. But I would like to see a public-private partnership with a parking company. So there's Denver's an example. I think Oklahoma City has one. There's several different places where they have impo- they've they've created a partnership between the city and a private company to come in and build a parking garage. And then the, the private entity maintains that parking garage. That doesn't become the burden of the city and the taxpayers to maintain it. That private entity maintains it. But they're paying those fees to, to have that access. They're paying some of that back into the city. So it increases covered parking at the airport, which every one of us would want. Mm-hmm. It increases the ability to get in and out of the, of the parking at the airport more quickly. And it also brings revenue back into the city. It is a, an issue. Mm-hmm. Last time I went, not only were all the lots full, but then the private, the premier, I guess, is the yes. only uh, private parking mm-hmm. entity right now, and they were full. Yeah, and that's why people are hopping curbs and yeah. parking wherever they so can you, find and a then, spot. Yeah, by that time, you're already, you've already wasted twenty minutes. Yeah, you're <laughs> going to be late for your flight. That's right. That's right. <laughs> okay, we've talked a lot about transportation and stuff. Are there other city services that you would like to see improved or? changed recycling's big deal mm-hmm. we've had all these new f- people moving here who are used to recycling mm-hmm. robustly mm-hmm. and we don't mm-hmm. <laughs> and i understand the commodities market is, right. is a driver of that but is there anything that you would change or propose to change about recycling sanitation Yes. So I've actually spoken quite a bit with Keep Midland Beautiful and with other people who have a dog in that fight with the recycling. And I think all of us, when we look around, all of us want to participate in recycling. Very few people would say, no, I don't want to do that. I think Midlanders really do. I think one of the biggest concerns is that we're paying, if if you look at your bill, you're paying a recycling fee. And so where's that going? If we're not actually having a robust recycling program, then where is that money, that fee that we're paying? Where is that going? That's frustrating to me. And I think it's frustrating to a lot of Midlanders. And like you said, it's driven by the commodities market. And I don't think anybody at the city is saying, I don't want to mess with this. It's It's not that they don't want to. It's that we need some creative solutions to make it cost effective in Midland to be able to recycle. And I think that that's going to require us to sit at this table with with the taxing entities, with the nonprofits like Keep Midland Beautiful, and, and come up with some creative solutions to make it happen. We live a long way for major metropolitan areas where they're processing the recycling materials. And so we're going to have to figure out how to get something 300 miles to El Paso or to the Metroplex. That's just the nature of where we live, but it's worth doing and it's worth doing well. And so we need some transparency about where the existing dollars are being spent, but then we need some creative thinking about how to improve it. 
So there's been some talk about, some recent talk about building a new senior center. Mm-hmm. Have you heard about this at all? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what are your what are your thoughts about that in general? I think that we need to address the needs of senior citizens in our community. And I think that our services right now are somewhat inadequate, maybe very inadequate and maybe borderline not even safe. Um, I've heard from several people that the existing senior center doesn't even have they wouldn't even be considered up to code right now with the number of entrances and exits that they have into their facility. And so I think that we need to address some of those concerns. I also think that we have to look at the taxes that those that population has paid into our city over time and their fixed income. And there's so many factors that go into senior services, but they've been contributing citizens and residents of Midland and we need to take care of them. We need to make good decisions that advocate for them. I do think that construction of a new senior center is a good idea. I do think that there needs to be, again, transparency in what are we going to plan to build there and how are we going to spend our dollars? Are we going to make sure that we've spent it to the best interests of the people who are going to use that facility, but then also in the best interests of taxpayers as we look at how that moves forward. Rounding out the city mm-hmm. issues, and this will go back to housing, but we do have 40-some vacancies in the police department mm-hmm. and fire department. Do you have, you know, there's been the proposal that, you know, there's been a lot of ideas about maybe we should pay, should we pay them more? Should we make developers hold apartment units just for civil servants? Mm-hmm. Where where do you see that in your view, what we should do about that? I first and foremost want to say I do not think that the city should get in the housing business. I don't think that the city government, I don't think it's the role of the city government to subsidize housing or to, you know, it's actually illegal in the state of Texas to cap rents. So some of those options are not even available to us legally, but I don't even, even if they were available legally, I don't think that the government manages those things best. And so I think as we look at recruiting and retention of first responders, we need to see that more as a financial thing. We need to see it, we need to compensate them fairly and competitively. And then we need to acknowledge that we have a high cost of living here. We need to offer some housing stipends to allow them to live in places that they would want to live and raise their families. Right now, a lot of the people that we do have working for our fire department, especially, don't even live here. They're they're coming in for their shift and then they're going back to Lubbock or Abilene or somewhere else around our region. And I understand why they would want to do that for their family. You know, they're raising kids. They've got them in schools. They're paying bills. And so they want to go to a place that's most cost effective for them. But we also want those people to be part of our community. They're an asset for us. And so we need to make sure that our community is a place they want to bring their families and they want to put their kids in school. But then we need to incentivize them to be able to pay for housing here with housing stipends. I also think that we need to have some sort of bonus system for recruiting, but then a a bonus system that's for retention. So if you stay for a certain period of time, then we incentivize you for that also. But I think that those things have limited efficacy. If you look statistically, bonuses only get people here to a certain point. We're going to have to figure out other ways to keep them in Midland, and that's going to go back to the cost of housing. On the subject of public safety, we have been asking all the candidates, so we just had this event in August, mass shooting event. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a, a public safety issue. I mean, I know that the city has limited, I mean, aside from the the actual, you know, if we had more police officers, maybe they would be able to investigate more mm-hmm. incidents to prevent crime. 
do you have any thoughts on gun control or background how, checks? Yeah, or... background checks, that kind of thing. And what do you think the city could do to make the citizens feel safer? I think we also have some property crime issue and, mm-hmm. you know, like these uh, vandalism and people breaking into cars. Mm hmm stuff like that. Yep. I do think that it goes back to having an adequate number of first responders to address those things. I also think that we need to have a stricter enforcement of of crimes that are in prosecution of crimes that are that start out smaller. So we know that a lot of the folks who end up committing these sorts of gun crimes, they've had a history of domestic violence or a history of other issues. And so when we're not prosecuting those smaller issues to the fullest extent, or we're not following through with prosecuting those, we're, we're leaving folks that have these sorts of tendencies on the street. And so we have to start with prosecuting them to their fullest extent, but we have to have the manpower to do that. And it's not just first responders, although that's part of it, but we also have to have attorneys and judges, all of the different things. There's there's a whole process. There's a whole group of people who have to participate in that, and they're all short-staffed right now. And so we need to make sure that we have the personnel in place to be able to prosecute those things fully so that when, hopefully, it never has to come to a gun crime, we're able to stop those criminals before they reach that point. Okay, so we're going to take a different turn for mm-hmm. a second. So you have been living in District 4 for how long? I moved there in 2011. Okay. Mm-hmm. What are some of your favorite places in Midland in general? And then what do you like specifically about your district? Okay. I think District 4 is actually one of the most diverse districts in Midland. You know, District 1 is North Midland. It's all mostly upper upper middle class. And District 3 is Central Midland, you know, the Old Midland, which is actually where I grew up. But that has a, a specific population. And then District 2 is South and East Midland, which a lot of a lot of that area is the most economically disadvantaged part of Midland. And so District 4 has this great balance of the two. We've got folks who are in all all aspects of life in Midland. We've got people who are working in the oil field and people who are, you know, running oil companies or have long-term family investments. And so I, I like the diversity of District 4. I love the access to the other things. I mean, I can hop on 191 and Andrews Highway and get pretty much anywhere I want to be in the community. And so I love where I'm at access wise. I love access to my new HEB there. I guess it's not so new anymore, but it still feels. Oh, it's still, it'll be it's, the new HEB. Yeah, H-E-B it's for still the new years. HEB. Yes. <laughs> so I love the access to that. And I love some of the development that's going in around the stadium. There's several new developments that are coming in there. And, and I'm anxious to see what new businesses come in there. I'm, I can't wait for the. I think there's a name for it, but I don't know the name for it. But the new subdivision that is, or the new um, development that's going in around Chevron's office and Anadarko's office, I think they're they're bringing in some great anchor stores there. I'm I'm really anxious to see how they develop out Wadley and hopefully open up to 158. I would be a proponent for that. At the time, it is right for Midland to open up Wadley all the way to 158 and have another traffic flow that doesn't disrupt 191 and loop 250 to be able to have people go around there trying to think where else some of my favorite places i love any place that has outdoor dining i think midland has such a great climate and so we we need more places where you can go and sit with your family and have a leisurely meal and let your kids run around and enjoy our great weather and so yeah that's awesome do you have some additional ideas about quality of place such as like we were talking you were just talking about outdoor dining and so how about 
city parks. Okay. Well, I have part of my conversations with this group that I've been working with on quality of place. One of the great ideas that's come out of that is to do a hike and bike trail. So over the past few years, we've talked a lot about needing to revamp our city drainage system. And if you drive around Midland, then you know that it floods whenever it rains. And so we need a plan to restructure some of that. But we have in our existing draw system with Jowl Draw and Scarber Draw all the way throughout Midland, starting over, you know, on the far west side of town behind Stonegate, that draw system starts draining there and it drains all the way through town and winds around and drains out on the southeast side of town. And so we have this whole huge system that is already linked together, that's already existing, but it does need some updates and some revision. So as we're looking at doing that, I think we should only spend money one time and not have to come back and make that, but we can make that beautiful green space and have a hike and bike trail through that draw system that will provide and become an asset for Midland families to let kids and, uh, you know, bike uh, clubs and running clubs, all of those things to exist and use that hike and bike trail. There's also an opportunity. UTPB is already ready to talk about running a hike and bike trail from their existing campus in Odessa to the seed center, the seed building and kind of by where the Wagner Noel is, which is also District 4. So link that whole oh, hike wow, and bike trail. A long way. It's a long way from from cool. East Odessa to the oh, Wagner Noel. That's a great Noel. idea because then that would get those. Mm-hmm. I always worry about those people who are biking on yes. 191. Yeah. So it would give that huge access that whole d- distance. And so I think, you know, we're a long way right now from being able to link our draw system to that hike and bike trail at the Wagner Noel, but I think it's something that we should look at, that we should plan ahead for. And as we're making drainage decisions and as we're making revisions to that draw system, let's look at how we can create draw uh, green space that's an asset to our community. And some of the other things that I think we could really look at doing for general quality of place, you know, all around the Museum of the Southwest, they've done such a great job. I don't know if you guys have visited the Museum of the Southwest. They have an ongoing program fundraising effort right now, but they're doing such a great job to update that area. And so many people have gone in and bought houses around the Museum of the Southwest. There's the new development on the corner of Andrews Highway and Wall Street there. And so there's going to be all of these great new areas that have updated an older part of town. I realize it's not District 4, but it's something that all of us can use. And um, I'd like to see more development and more community events and things happen in that area, maybe even looking at planning and zoning and allowing for some restaurants down there so that we could have a destination for Midland where you could go down there and you could spend the day with your kids in the Children's Museum and with your spouse at the Museum of the Southwest and then have a great meal and enjoy the lawn. The Museum of the Southwest lawn is beautiful and they've got great concerts in the summer. So I think that there are ways that we can begin to tell our story well as Midlanders by the way that we manage our built environment outside, but also the way that we start to plan for drainage and multifunctional uh, dollars that we can spend in Midland. The other thing that I'd heard about that um, was came up in city council meeting was Wi-Fi. How do you see Wi-Fi fitting in with quality of place? I personally do not. They, I don't know if everybody's aware, but city council approved half a million dollar expenditure to put Wi-Fi in three city parks. I personally think that is a waste of funds. And I think that that's a way we paid for a want instead of a need. So Midland is full of needs. We have things that need to be addressed. And I see that similar to renovating your home. You're going to fix your air conditioner before you're going to pay for 
a new TV because you you have to prioritize in your own personal finances. We have to prioritize our needs first and our wants second. There's nothing wrong with getting a new TV, but you don't do that when you don't have running water or a functional air conditioner in Midland, Texas. And so I view putting Wi-Fi in city parks to be the same thing as buying a new TV when you don't have running water. We have to fix some of the needs in our community before we begin to spend money on wants. And we, we have a limited amount of funds through property taxes and fees and sales tax in Midland, Texas, and we have to allocate those funds wisely. And I think it's the responsibility of city council and the mayor to make those decisions in a way that benefits the most number of citizens. Everybody walking through Midland right now has a phone. And if they want to have unlimited Wi-Fi access, then they have that on their phones and they have hotspots on their phones. So I just don't see that as the most immediate need for Midland for a half a million dollar expenditure. It seemed like I was kind of surprised that the city was going to do it without a private partner. Mm -hmm. So if someone, one of the eight, not eight, we'll just say AT&T, but they would never do it, came in (laughs) and said, we're going to, we want to provide citywide Wi-Fi, not just at parks, but like in your city and you can charge for it as a utility. Is that something you would be interested in or not? I think that it would have to be a private partnership. And I, I would not personally advocate for any taxpayer dollars to be spent on Wi-Fi. I I don't think that that is something I think that if we had addressed all of the other needs of our community and we had a surplus and we were looking for places to spend it, then I think that it can come to the city council at that point and we Mm -hmm. can say, yes, look, we have the surplus. Let's do this great thing that everyone would enjoy and use. Okay, that's a different conversation. But we are so far from that right now that I think, you know, no taxpayer dollars should go towards that right now. And this is not a city issue. Well, I mean, it's not a city government issue, but I'm looking at the map again and you've got some new elementary schools um, Mm -hmm. in your in your district. Do you have any thoughts about if now I know that the city owns land? I mean, the city, the school district owns land out by the Scarborough Sports Complex. Mm -hmm. And that's where a new high school would, would one of the new high schools that they're proposing would go as a member of that district. What do you what do you what do you think about that? Well, I think that, first of all, you're right. It's not a city issue. Um, (laughs) The the main thing that I see in that area is we've got, and not just in my district, but in in all of Midland, we need to start seeing school issues as all of our problem. That cannot just be a school board issue or a central office issue or a campus issue. All Midlanders have to begin seeing our efforts in our community to benefit schools. And we all have to work together on that. And so, you know, whether you support the existing bond or not, and I'm not taking a public stance on that, I do believe that each Midlander should be invested in the campus, should be advocating for teachers and students, and should be pushing for greater achievement on each of those campuses. But I believe, I'm a former teacher, I don't know if I shared that previously, but I taught high school in El Paso at El Paso Coronado for five years. And I've got three kids in Midland schools. And I believe that the place that needs the most advocacy is for students and teachers. And we in Midland are so quick to see all of this as an issue where we need to make administrative changes and we need to, maybe that stuff needs to happen too. But the thing that all of us can do as individuals is find a teacher and love on that teacher and make sure that we are supporting her in her place and find students who don't have parents who are invested in them and support those kids and come alongside them. Many of us, you know, we're going to make sure that our kids are successful because we are 
we're invested in their education. But there's a lot of kids in our community who don't have that sort of support in their home. And it's not because their parents don't want to. It's because their parents are working too many hours to support them and support the standard of living here in Midland. It's because their parents are English language learners and they don't understand our system. And so all of those kids and all of those teachers need regular Midlanders all of the people who are going to listen to this podcast, we need all of us to participate in supporting teachers and students. Okay. And one last question for you. What sets you apart? What, in your opinion, what sets you apart from uh, the, your opponents? One of the things that sets me apart from my opponents the most is that I've been so deeply involved over since 2013 in so many different facets of city and community life here in town. Not to say that the other two haven't participated, but I've been trying my best to be in the rooms with decision makers, trying to understand the root of problems in Midland before I assert my answers. And I think that we need the depth of perspective, you know, with, with so many young people running for city council, We need that youth, but we also need people who have a perspective and a respect for where we've come from and why we have addressed issues the way that we have as a community. Even if we disagree, I think that there's value in having a perspective of participation over the past few years, a respect for the people who have led and come before us, and willingness to work with lots of different groups moving forward. And so I've already built some of those relationships with the county and built some of those relationships with the school board, built some of those relationships with the existing city council and city employees because I've been participating in those meetings. And so while I haven't served on city council before, I've been participating with these same people for a while and I feel like I have good rapport with them and I want to work with them to to continue the good things that Midland is doing, but then to to make things better for our my kids and your kids and everybody, the future generations that are going to come behind us. So, Okay. And Lori, do you have anything that Anything else that you would want to share with our listeners or the audience? I really want to see the great momentum that we have in Midland grow. I don't know if everyone's aware, but we have 11 people running for three seats. You know, three mayoral candidates, five candidates in District 3, and four and three candidates in District 4. I was just about to ask, so you've got, so there's, there's three of y'all running uh-huh. in your race, and I believe there's a... Y'all are going to have a debate, or we had, had a debate it? last week. Uh-huh. Okay, are you, is that the only one? That it is the only one. Okay. We'll we'll have a League of Women's Voters forum mm-hmm. on Wednesday next week at seven o'clock. So that's Wednesday, October sixteenth at seven o'clock, and so that's open to the public. It'll be held in the Carrasco Room at Midland College. But otherwise, I don't know that there are any other public forums for debate. Sure. But, and I don't, that one will not be a true debate. It will mostly be a town hall where you can ask questions of each of us individually. But I love how of those 11 candidates for those three seats, I think nine of us are 40 or younger. And so the way that that reflects the change in our community. I think the average age in Midland right now, depending on who you talk to, is 31 to 33. And so to have so many young people participating in the process and stepping forward into leadership is really encouraging to me as a lifelong Midlander. And I'm excited to see those people participate more and more fully and to see more people stepping forward into leadership. We've got a lot of long-term leaders in Midland that have been a blessing to us, but they're ready to retire, many of them. They're ready to play with grandbabies and 
go to the mountains. And so I think that we are positioning ourselves well as a community to have young people stepping forward into leadership. And that's that's an asset and that's an honor, I think, for our community to be able to say we've done well in raising people who can lead us into the future. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been an awesome interview. Thank, Thank you. you so much for joining us. Yeah. If our listeners want to hear more about what you're up to, mm-hmm. about your campaign, where would you send them? I have a website. It's www.loriblong.com. And I would love for you to take a look there. And then I also have a pretty active Facebook participation in the Facebook page. And it's just Lori Merritt Blong. My maiden name is Merritt, M-E-R-R-I-T-T. So Lori Merritt Blong on Facebook. And I'd love for you to check me out there. And we also have folks who are willing to bring signs to you. And so if you, I'll bring you the sign personally, or I'll have somebody make sure that it gets to you. So if you would like to go onto my website, there's a place for you to be able to request signs there. In Midland, that's one of the best ways to advocate for the candidate that you prefer is to have their sign in your yard because everybody sees that. And so we'd love to have a sign in your yard. And we we actually have a, I live in district one, but I, there's a sign for you at the end of my street. Yes. <laughs> I have signs all over town and I have signs in the yard with every single mayor's sign. And I'm proud of that. And I, I hope to be able to work with whoever is on city council. I, I want to build good relationships and to live in community with the people that are Midlanders and who are in leadership here. And so as I've driven around and seen signs, I've seen mine next to each of the three mayoral candidates. And I'm encouraged by that for sure. Yeah. So, yes, check me out on Facebook and check me out on my website. And I would love to ask for your vote. This is Lori Blong for District 4 City Council in Midland, and I'd love to ask for your vote. Wonderful. Thank you, Lori. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us for Tall City Elections, a presentation of the League of Women Voters and the Recording Library of West Texas.